Hi, hello, and welcome to episode number 47 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Adi Elmore, and thank you for being here. First things first, the Ball Don't Lie podcast is now available at Elite Sports News. Check out EliteNewsUS.com. They've got the latest going on in the sports world as we begin to return to sports across the country, the major leagues, the NFL. There are headlines in college football, so on and so forth. Go to EliteNewsUS.com. Elite Sports News is the website. They will get you up to date with everything you need to know going on in the sports world. My page is on there. You can follow along with each episode of the podcast at EliteNewsUS.com. Hoping to have some guests from that site uh, in coming weeks when things start to get back to normal. Uh, And that's where we start. Things are getting back to normal in a way. We will have two guests on this podcast today. We'll talk about Heartbreak with Taryn Bland, my good friend and a producer with me here at iHeartMedia in Cincinnati. He's also the host of No Holds Barred, the only wrestling show, as far as I know, on ESPN Radio and any affiliate across the country. He's a co-host of that with Rick Uccino on ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati. He hosts his own podcast as well. We'll get into all that in his biggest sports heartbreak. And joining us in the first segment of the show today will be Jeff Carr. Jeff Carr is the host of Locked On Reds podcast and uh, a good friend of mine, another co-worker that works here with me and is, and runs a very successful podcast. I was on his podcast just a couple weeks ago. Uh, you may have heard me talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about the Reds as they prepare for opening day uh, coming up this Friday. We're going to start with the NFL, though, because the NFL – is what's making most of the news. Baseball and basketball slowly begin their preparations for their seasons, which will start at the end of this month. The NFL, still two months away and still seemingly unprepared. That was until late on Monday. The NFL and the NFLPA agreed to testing protocols finally, and the NFL offered zero preseason games to the NFL Players Association. This is something that the NFL Players Association has wanted from the very beginning. Well, let's start with the testing protocols. The testing protocols are this. Every player and staff member will get tested every single day uh, for the first two weeks of training camp. After those two weeks, if the number of positive tests is at 5% or below, the testing will get shifted to once every other day and will continue like that moving into the regular season. If it is above 5%, then the testing will stay at every single day uh, going into the regular season. There will be, like I said, zero preseason games as far as everyone understands at the moment. And teams will take 80 players to training camp, which starts this week for most teams across the NFL. They will take 80 players instead of the normal 90. Every team had to submit a comprehensive plan, their action plan against COVID-19 with the restrictions and the precautions they're taking against it. Uh, Every single one of those, to my knowledge, has been approved so far. They are continuing to work through issues. If you haven't already, read Football Morning in America by Peter King. He went up to Minnesota. He visited the Vikings facility and outlined all the things that they are doing to prepare for the team, the players' arrival, including Mike Zimmer losing his parking spot, the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Some really, really good stuff there from Peter King if you want more of an in-depth understanding of what teams are doing uh, when it comes to COVID-19 protocols. Let's talk specifically about the Bengals for a minute because the Bengals, along with most teams in the NFL, had their rookies report to their facilities on Tuesday. As far as we know, every rookie was there except for three. The three that were not there... Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, 
and Khalid Kareem. Now, we don't know why they haven't signed their rookie contracts. There could be any number of reasons. Um, It was expected that, and it is still expected, that at some point this week, I'm recording this on Tuesday night, you're listening to it most likely on Wednesday or after, and it is still expected that sometime this week, Joe Burrow will sign his rookie contract, T. Higgins will sign his rookie contract, and Khalid Kareem will sign his rookie contract. There's no idea what the holdup is. And the, the thing is this, it's going to be mum, mum is going to be the word from Paul Brown Stadium for most of this process because my understanding is there's no media there and there's not going to be media there for a while because there's no point in having them on site for media availability with the players if it's all going to be virtual. And they don't want, you know, it's it's a complicated mess that the NFL and teams are still continuing to figure out and it's all part of those processes that each and every team has lined up. So... You won't hear very much until it comes directly from the club. I'm not worried. Am I a little, you know, off put that the the Bengals didn't sign Joe Burrow on Tuesday? Yeah, well, I am a little bit. I would like for that to happen because everything is crazy and I just want one constant in my life. But that's okay. I am confident that the Bengals will sign Joe Burrow and I think everyone else who has any semblance of a brain feels that way as well. Speaking of people with a semblance of a brain, A.J. Green, the Bengals wide receiver and probably the best in the first history of the franchise, signed his franchise tender late last week. It was a one-year, $18 million deal that's officially puts him on the franchise tag. He will be there on day one of training camp, according to him. He has been texting with Joe Burrow. He has been running routes since February. A.J. Green says he is 100% good to go ready to go. He said the lines of communication with him and the Bengals throughout the entire process were wide open, were good conversations, good talks. And and um, listen, the Bengals did the right thing. A.J. Green did the right thing. It's right for both of them to take this year to try to prove to one another that they're right for one another still. We'll see what happens with the new quarterback, with a new offense essentially still, uh, with Zach Taylor, because Zach Taylor didn't have A.J. Green at all last year. And now he's got a brand new quarterback. The Bengals offense might look a lot different this year. I don't know. So A.J. Green will do that. And uh, that's obviously a sigh of relief for a lot of people in Cincinnati because there are some people that seem to think that A.J. Green hates the Bengals and doesn't want to play here, and that's just not the case. He said during his uh, conference call with the media that he, uh, he wants to retire a Bengal. He wants to be here for four or five more years. He still think he's got those good years left in him. He has said that from the beginning. He has said in the past that he has enough money to last him the rest of his life. He's going to get $18 million more of it this year. They cannot renegotiate that contract or negotiate an extension in general until the end of this season. That is per the rules of the franchise tag. So that's not going to be a distraction during the regular season. A.J. Green, Joe Burrow, and the Bengals offense will be able to focus on themselves and focus on what they need to do um, going forward to start the season. So that's everything you need to know, essentially, from Bengal land and, uh, and what's going on with them. So now I'm going to send you over to our first guest of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. His name is Jeff Carr. Jeff is the host of the Locked On Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network a friend of mine, a co-worker of mine, a man who let me on his podcast just weeks ago. Happy to have him. Jeff Carr, welcome to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. How you doing today? Austin, I appreciate you returning the favor and having me on your podcast, man. How you doing? I'm excellent. You are 
Uh, you're you're my go-to guy for Reds knowledge right now because you literally post a podcast about the Reds every single day. As much as I can. Locked on Reds is a daily podcast. You get to, it's about 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes. It's funny because they tell us that the format is supposed to be 15 to 20 minutes. I tend to go long-winded, usually mm. 20 to 25 minutes. Okay, well, I mean, that's okay. When you got good stuff to say, people will listen. Jeff, the roster is almost set. We have finally made it through the longest offseason ever. Ever. And the Reds and the Tigers play real baseball on Friday night at Great American Ballpark starting at 6-10. How does that make you feel? I am loving it. They just got done playing some fake baseball tonight. night. They're going to play uh, fake when we're recording this on Tuesday night. They're mm-hmm. going to play fake baseball on Wednesday night mm-hmm. as well. Uh, real baseball sounds amazing. Like you said, longest offseason in history. I hope we never have anything longer than this ever again because this was the most ridiculous thing. Because especially in a year where the Reds spent over $160 mm-hmm. million dollars on people, we were waiting, we were waiting, and then we had to wait some more. Everybody keeps saying this is the year the Reds could finally do it. They might actually make some noise. They spent all the money, and here we are playing 60 games like you said, the Reds and Tigers played a, a fake baseball game on Tuesday night. The Reds won that one 9-7. to And here's a good sign for you, Jeff. Home runs from Freddie Galvis, Tucker Barnhart, Shogo Akiyama, including a three-run game-tying home run Bomb. from Shogo. Straightaway center. Eugenio Suarez picking up where he left off. And Jesse Winker. Barnhart and Galvis collected two hits each. They were down 5-1. to one. And came back and won that game 9-7. to Jeff Brantley was making the point on the broadcast that this is a very important thing that good teams have to deal with. Are you, When you get down early, how do you battle back? You have to have the mindset that you're going to win every game no matter what. And that's the true test of the Reds' offense. They have the firepower to do that. That was the most epic thing about that is that in the second inning, it was like, oh boy, down 5 nothing, mm-hmm. bing, bang, boom, back to back to back. The Tigers went against Nick Lodolo, and whenever he got pulled, I mean, it's a scrimmage, so you're not going to go too far on the overreaction side, but you were kind of wondering a little bit, okay, this is going to be a test for this lineup. Let's see how close they make it. And they won. Yeah. And you got to love, you know, 9-6, to six or depending on how you look at the scoreboard, 6-9. to nine. Um, But five home runs, none of them by Nick Castellanos, Mike Moustakis, Joey Votto, Pretty sure if Vegas went that detailed, <laughs> you would have gotten a really crazy line on that. Yeah. I don't think they're going to go that detailed on a bet because that's not going to happen very often. Those guys are going to be yeah. your big boppers. But to have, I mean, the first one was Freddie Galvis, which was kind of hilarious in itself because who was criticized more in this offseason right. on this roster? He was the biggest question mark on the whole in the whole roster because they tried their darndest to go after Francisco Lindor. There was talks about them maybe going after Corey Seager from the Dodgers, maybe Trevor Story from the Rockies, maybe anyone else that plays shortstop anywhere ever. Didi Gregorius <laughs> was rumored to be I wanted Didi Gregorius really badly. It would have been interesting. Yeah. And he's a Philly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so now everybody's like, well, we got this de facto shortstop. And not only does he hit that home run, he made a hell of a throw on that relay. And I forget the name of the base runner for the Tigers, but it was an amazing – they don't have many noteworthy guys. Yeah. I mean, the two that I keep thinking of are Nico Goodrum and J. Mark Candelario because, mm-hmm. I mean, those are crazy names. <laughs> but the, it was off of a double, and Sinzel picked it up on the warning track, threw it on a rope to Galvis, and then Galvis a rope from 
basically shallow center, right to Tucker, tags a guy out at home. Amazing defensive plays in this game. Nick Cassiano's made a diving catch. I'm not going to say he's going to be a glove right fielder, but I'm same, not prepared to make that statement because no, <laughs> we're talking about him as a possible DH candidate. Right. But all in all, except for Nick Lodolo's start, this was the kind of game you were hoping to see from this roster. And and come Friday, you got Sonny Gray on the bump. You've got your main bullpen guys are going to be fresh and ready to go. I'm I'm assuming probably we'll see. Uh, Lorenzen and we saw Amir Garrett. We'll probably see Lorenzen um, and a couple other guys that weren't in Tuesday night's game. But even Rice Iglesias came in and go one, two, three, all strikeouts, amazing. And it was funny because then uh, I believe he did give up a home run. Oh yeah, did he? Yeah, Ah. he did give up a home run. You were probably on your way here. I I was. I was on my way here. Well, see, there you go. He did what he does, but he got the save. That's, he nailed it down. It's the most Rysel Iglesias thing ever. <laughs> let me let me backtrack a sec. You said Nick Sinzel. This is yeah. a completely off the wall thought, totally yeah. off the wall question I have right here. Nick Sinzel is my favorite red. Okay. I love everything about Nick Sinzel. Dude works okay. hard. He's my favorite player. Yeah. Who's your favorite Cincinnati Red? Ooh. That's a toughie. It's Joey. It still is. It's still Joey. It's going to be Joey. I just I know that the, the power's not there. We're not talking about a guy who's going to give us 25, 30 home runs anymore and probably not give us anywhere near 100 RBIs, but I still love his game. I had a I had a tweet. I was uh, trying to stir some things up on the wonderful Twitterverse because mm. he had a, place. a pop-out. Yeah, it really is. He had a pop-out to left field. I think it was in like the third or fourth inning that it was a – curveball down and into him so he does this weird half chop <laughs> swing that you know he does when he does those weird practice mm-hmm. swings it looks like he's trying to hurt himself yeah and that's kind of how this swing looked and you're like oh but it goes halfway through left field you're like is he gonna get some power back maybe maybe <laughs> May- okay probably not but i'm not gonna go there but i still i still love joey i love his body work plus he was one of the four guys who during the national anthem of the exhibition game that's true he took a knee yep and look i'm not going to sit here and say well players that take knees are my favorite players but joey's been my favorite ever since he's gotten called up so he's still the guy uh, probably number two huge michael lorenzen fan mikey biceps anything that guy does he looks like he could lift great american ballpark by the way and in the off season, his main goal, do you remember, I don't know if you remember this he was like i want to throw 103 (laughs) (laughs) what Sure, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, <laughs> but this is this is a guy that that hit decently last year, who played outfield last year, who pitched I don't know seventy some games last year. He did the Babe Ruth thing where he yeah. got the win. Him and, and Babe Ruth, run. yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. So fast forward to Friday, there is all but one spot left uh, on this roster. Or I should I, I said that wrong. There's one spot left on this roster. Everything else essentially is taken. The news of the week was Derek Dietrich, who asked for his release and was granted it. Mark Payton has been re, uh, returned to the Oakland Athletics through the Rule 5 draft situation there because he did not make the opening day roster. We know for sure that Travis Jankowski, the center fielder, outfielder, uh, is on the opening day roster. We know that the Northern Kentucky University Norse alum, Nate hey. Jones, Norse up, has made the opening day roster. Where do you see this roster as it stands right now? What do you expect out of the DH? And uh, 
what are your expectations overall for for what David Bell has on his hands with depth and and what we expect to see on opening day? He's definitely got a great situation playing matchups with the people on this roster. And I think a, a lot of people were wondering what's up with Jankowski being on the roster over some of the other guys. And his whole deal is speed and fielding. And especially in 2020 when the extra innings are going to begin with a runner on second base, which will be the uh, guy who was up last the last time the team was at bat. There may be some scenarios where Joey Votto was the last to bat, and so then he would be the guy on second. Well, then you bring in Travis Jankowski to be that pinch runner who could score you potentially the game-winning run. That's why he made it over Mark Payton. He has that special ability a little bit with the fielding and the speed over Payton. And then you look at Nate Jones, who got a little bit of action in – Tuesday night's game and look pretty good and he's got a wild looking delivery I love oh, the whole it's, it's like funky yeah. I love the whole right foot on the left edge of the rubber <laughs> and it looks like his left foot is you know on first base like he's he spread. looks like a man possessed a, a little bit and I think if I were a hitter that would at least be in the back of my mind like is this guy all right <laughs> and so he he could be a very nice middle relief option for them the interesting part will be the three batter minimum. David Bell has shown the ability to do double switches and do lots of pinch hitting whenever he thinks he's got a better matchup. That's going to just be one of his favorite things. He's not going to have the specialist type pitcher anymore, but he may have the specialist type hitter. You're looking at Philip Irvin, who, unfortunately, as much as I love the dude, he's one of my favorite Reds, he doesn't have a clear path to a lot of playing time. He's going to be like their super pinch hitter because you're going to see Jesse Winker do a lot of DHing, and with that, you're going to have Shogo Akiyama in left field quite a bit because the Reds are going to face a glutton of right-handed pitchers. So you got those guys that will be in the lineups. You'll see Castellanos probably uh, swap in for DH every so often, maybe Joey Votto whenever he needs an off day from the field. And it's funny because people people would like to make a big deal out of Castellanos and, and Winker saying, I don't want a DH. But uh, honestly, if they came out and said, yeah, I want a DH, then they're almost saying, yeah, I don't want to do half of baseball. I don't want to play People would grill them for that too. Yeah. Right. They're, they're, they're darned if they do, darned if they don't. So I, I love what they came out and said, no, I want to play de- defense. And, of course, Castellanos, like I said, with that exclamation point in the diving catch. Overall, I, I love – the way that the roster shakes out the lineup that they threw out today against a right-hander from the Tigers named Dario Agrizal, which I would never have guessed in a million years that that was a Major League Baseball player. <laughs> um, that was a great lineup when you look at Shogo, Vado, Suarez, Moustakis, Castellanos, Winker, um, Galvis, Senzel, Senzel and Tucker, and Tucker, it's funny because like I, I thought, like, maybe we get Senzel in the ninth spot and you get like a double leadoff situation in some innings. But it looked all right, and Tucker's got a penchant for getting on base. So who knows? That, that could be very interesting moving forward. I'm excited about it. Like you said, the defense has been relatively impressive throughout the summer camp situation, the inter-squad scrimmages, and in first in the first exhibition game against the Detroit Tigers. Talking to Jeff Carr, the host of the Locked On Reds podcast, the Locked On Podcast Network. The season is finally here. 60 games. Each game means 2.67 times as much as a regular 162-game season. It's time for your prediction, Jeff. What do the Cincinnati Reds do? 
What happens? Do they make the playoffs? Do they win the World Series? Do they bow out in the second round? What happens? What is the story of the 2020 Cincinnati Reds? I have been laughed at and, and when I'm sticking with it I'm not going to change because I've been laughed at because of this but Yid and uh, many of people Chad Dotson many of people being like well I don't know about <laughs> that I'm saying 38 and 22 whoa okay, okay, okay. they have 20 right. wow. games 20 games against the Pirates Tigers and Royals they can win 16 of those games at least then they have 10 games, seven at home, against the Cubs, a team that they were pretty good against last year. Very you, good. If you go back and you look it up, they I think they were like 11-8 and eight or 12-8, and eight, something crazy, like dominated the Cubs, despite Great American turning into Wrigleyville South every so often, which won't happen I don't want year. to talk about it. Yeah, I know. It's it's, it's kind of annoying. Whenever I, There was a funny story about that. I was sitting down third base line whenever the Reds were playing the Cubs, and there was a family of Cubs fans in front of me, and there was this specific game i forget sick people uh suarez hits this bomb you know like he did a lot last year and i was like cheering yeah the uh the son little kid turns around and like glares at me as i'm cheering and i was like welcome to cincinnati boy welcome in there you came to our place and we're doing good but 38 and 22 i the the interesting part will be the playoffs because i think so long as they don't run into which thirty eight and twenty two would put them in the top two. So they probably won't run into the Dodgers in the first round. I think they run into the Dodgers in the championship series, and that's a coin toss, because good lord, the Dodgers look like a wagon. I mean, they look so good. But I think the pitching I think the Reds match up much better with the pitching. It's just the lineups. I think the Dodgers probably have a little bit of a better lineup. I say the Reds probably fall in seven to the Dodgers in the playoffs because the Dodgers are they're they've been disrespected so long. I feel like this is probably their year, but the Reds are going to be right there with them all the way. So the Dodgers go to the World Series. Who do they play in the World Series? Who do they beat? Or who do they or do they win the World Series? I guess is the question. I'm going to pick. I'm going to put you on the spot. The I'm going to Dodgers pick, win the World Series. I'm going to pick them to win. They're going to beat the Twins. The Minnesota Twins. Twins the Reds the will World finish the 2020 regular season with three games, I believe, in Minnesota. Couldn't be happier against than they the only Minnesota play Twins. Yeah, yeah, Couldn't the be. best team in that division by far. The Reds avoided them for only uh, those play for only those three games. And to your point about the thirty-eight and twenty-two, I, I have long said that I don't expect them to be much further than the thirty-three to thirty-five range. Yeah, because I just know how things are. But anything can happen, as we've seen over the past couple of months. I have always said I learned from our colleague Ken Brew. And he said this about the regular season in baseball, the regular regular season in baseball, is that it's a 62-game season because you're going to win 50 games and lose 50 games no matter what. It's what you do with the 62 in between that determines your fate. I see it the same way with the 60-game season. You're going to win 15 games and you're going to lose 15 games no matter what. Right. It's what you do with the other 32 or the other 30 in between. And uh, I think that's just going to be how it shakes out for the Reds. They absolutely have the talent, the pitching, and uh, and the bats to to do what needs to be done, and obviously a lot of depth. It's going to be a big year for David Bell, how he manages the bullpen, the three batter rule. Who who's gonna, somebody's going to get hurt at some point? What's the starting pitching? What there's a lot of questions, but it, there's a lot of good 
questions that the Reds have instead of bad questions that don't have answers, as we've seen in years past. His name is Jeff Carr. He is the host of the Locked on Reds podcast. Jeff, where can we find you? Where can we listen to the podcast? Where can we find you on the Twitter and anywhere on social media? You can find Locked on Reds on pretty much everywhere I can think of that has podcasts, whether it be the iHeartRadio app or iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all that good stuff. Um, You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and Mm. then follow the show at Locked on Reds on Twitter as well as Facebook and Instagram. Jeff Carr, the host every single day, Locked on Reds podcast. Jeff, thank you for joining the Bottle and Light podcast. Austin, I appreciate you having me, man. We'll be right back with Taryn Bland next on BDL. Welcome back to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. I'm your host, Adi Elmworm. That music can only mean one thing. A sad moment that we're about to talk about here on the podcast. It is our heartbreak segment. And joining us to talk about his biggest sports heartbreak, he is the co-host of No Holds Barred on ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati. He's also the host of Down to the Wire 513, his podcast. He works with me at iHeartMedia Cincinnati, one of the most talented people I've been around. His name is Taryn Bland. Taryn, welcome to the Bald Online Podcast. How are you doing? Great, great introduction. Thank uh, you. I don't know about most talented, though. You're very talented, Taryn. I'm, I'm just an average guy. I'm just a guy who pushes buttons. Humble, too. A very humble man. And a Minnesota Vikings fan. A couple weeks ago, I put out on my Instagram story, tell me about the time when you were most heartbroken in your sports life. I saw you later that night and you said immediately 2015 was actually the 2016, the year 2016, but the 2015 season, the playoffs, NFC wildcard game, your Minnesota Vikings fall to the Seattle Seahawks 10 to nine. A recap for those of you who may not remember. Blair Walsh, missed a 27-yard field goal with 27 seconds left. Or was it uh, 26 seconds left? He missed a 27-yard field goal after making three earlier in the day. Taryn's shaking his head. Now he's wiping his eyes. He might start crying already. Taryn, tell me how you felt that day when, uh, when Blair Walsh missed that field goal. Man, moments after is just my heart sank sat on my floor, and I, and I literally didn't move for the next 20 minutes. Whatever came on after that game, TV was just on, and I just, I just sat there. So much, so much heartbreak. We were already underdogs in, in, in that game. It was cold. It was cold, freezing cold that day, one of the coldest games in playoff history. The third coldest game in NFL history on record. That game, and remember, this was played at TCF Bank Stadium at the University of Minnesota because U.S. Bank Stadium, where the Vikings play now, was not yet finished. Correct. And the Seahawks, I believe they were they were coming off a a loss in the Super Bowl, I believe. Mm-hmm. So they were they were they, they, they were hung, just lost in the Super Bowl, and Minnesota had the lead the entire game. Entire the defense game. was playing well, like you said, it was freezing cold, nine to nothing. Minnesota led going into the fourth quarter before, I believe, either Doug Baldwin or Tyler Lockett caught a touchdown pass from Russell Wilson. And then Stephen Hauschka took the lead with eight minutes left. 
And Teddy Bridgewater did what Teddy Bridgewater needed to do. Your boy, you're fond of Teddy Bridgewater. Yes, Teddy Two Gloves. Teddy Two Gloves got the Vikings down there, fourth and one. D- describe the way you felt. Like, how? what was going through your mind in those moments as you sat there? I, I felt like it was like it, it was karma on me because mm. because that night before mm. I was trashing the Bengals because I follow like a a, a ton of <laughs> Bengals fans on and, and and they were just so cocky and and arrogant after Avante's perfect inter- interception and yeah then we all know what happens. Now, it's funny you bring up that game because the same night I posted this story, I got overwhelmingly that game as the number one response because obviously I got a lot of Bengals fans. And I had forgotten because I, and I've said this before on this podcast, that I just completely wrote off football and sports after that game for a little while. I had totally forgotten that the next day this happened to you. Yeah. So I feel like karma hit me right, punched me right in the gut because I I, I was boasting the bragging. We had a nine nothing lead, like I said, the whole game. I was talking, I was talking on Facebook, talking on Twitter, mm. and then I was even talking like Teddy two, yeah, because I remember he hit he hit Kyle <laughs> Rudolph down down the sideline, set us up there, couldn't get couldn't get in the end zone for whatever reason. Um, fourth and one, and I was like, oh, we got this game, we got it, we moving on. He's going to face Carolina in the, uh, the following week. That would have been a favorable matchup, I think. Oh, Minnesota, yes. you, the Minnesota defense that year was just insane. And I'll, I've put my right hand to God. Mike Zimmer is one of the best football coaches on planet Earth. I'd give my life for Mike Zimmer. Yeah, thank you, Cincinnati, for, for having yeah. us. Mike Zimmer. I, have, I have said for a long time that the biggest mistake the Bengals ever made was letting Mike Zimmer go. But, yeah, I was already looking forward to facing Cam Newton the next mm. week. And then – tragic happened. However, in recent years, there was a thing called the Minneapolis Miracle, where if you haven't heard that, it was uh, Kirk Cousins throwing deep down the right sideline. Case, Case Keenum. Case Keenum. That was before Kirk Cousins. Yes. Case Keenum throwing deep down the right sideline, tipped in the air, caught... Was it tipped? No. No, it wasn't tipped. Stephon Diggs just went up and got it. Mm-hmm. The Saints' safeties missed him, goes into the end zone at U.S. Bank Stadium to send them to the NFC Championship game? Correct. Against the Philadelphia Eagles, yes. I will never forget Stephon Diggs ripping off his helmet and just throwing it in the end zone. Looking like the rock about to do a people's elbow. Yep. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, here you go with the wrestling <laughs> stuff. But, yeah, I mean, that, that, was, a great, that was a great moment for me. Despite what happened the following week, mm-hmm. but we got tarnished up in Philly. That game that wasn't even close, was it? No, I mean we look well. First drive of the game, I remember we drove down the field, scored a touchdown. I'm thinking, all right, we're feeling good, feeling good. Didn't score the rest of the game. Yeah, but Philadelphia was. Uh, I mean, that's a good football team. Won the Super Bowl, obviously. So shift your focus to the upcoming NFL season. Kirk Cousins, no more Stephon Diggs. Where do you see the Minnesota Vikings in uh, in 2020? I see us right in, right in the middle of the pack. I wouldn't say Super Bowl contenders yet. We lost a lot on defense. We lost a lot of veter- veterans on defense, especially our de- defensive line. We lost, like I said, Stephon Diggs is a huge playmaker for us, a wide receiver. But I do love uh, our draft pick and uh, Justin Jefferson. Mm-hmm. I believe Justin Jefferson is the name. I do love 
love him at wide receiver, and I think he could come in and immediately make a huge impact for us. I would say I say middle of the pack. I say ten and six. But that is going to compete for the division because the Packers did not get better in the NFC North at all. That's correct, but they do still the have Bears Aaron stink. I saw something this week that said the the Chicago Bears have the bleakest future of any NFL team. And there's a team in Washington that doesn't have a name right now. <laughs> that is correct, but one thing Chicago does has is defense. That is true. So they'll be in every football game. Detroit, I keep wanting to say Detroit's going to surprise some people. But then they end up doing like they keep being Detroit. Yeah. I think Matt Stafford's his days are are numbered up there. Yeah, and, and, and Matt Patricia's too. Nine twenty-two <laughs> and one, entering like his fifth season or something. But there's been a shift of power in Detroit. The uh, the old lady Martha Ford, no longer in charge, shifted that uh, to her daughter. Well, Taryn, I appreciate you joining. I appreciate this quick segment. I'm sorry I had to bring up bad memories. Yes, but I did try. To, I, I tried to to bring something positive to this with the Minneapolis miracle. Is that? Did you feel? That 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 2015 team was that because every team has has had this because the Bengals the same way the Bengals the 2015 Bengals were were my Super Bowl team that was the, the, so far in my life that was the team that could have won the Super Bowl was that your Minnesota Vikings Super Bowl team or or do you consider that the following season or the next couple seasons with the NFC Championship game going to, which which Vikings team in your lifetime was the Super Bowl team that you missed. Man, 2015 wasn't that season. I was just wanted to see how far we can go in 2016, mm-hmm. see what could happen. And unfortunately, the following season, that's when Teddy Bridgewater wrecked his knee, and we, right. we never got to see him in, in Minnesota play again. Uh, the Super Bowl team for me came 2009. That's the, oh. one that, that, that's the one I remember. That's the Bounty Gate game, right? Yes, yes. I, I really believe if we go to the Super Bowl, we can we we would have beat the Indianapolis Colts and Peyton Manning. Yeah, I completely forgot about that NFC title game. Adrian Peterson was at the top of his game. Brett Favre had a great year. Although Peterson fumbled three times in that game. People, in that game, he yeah, did. Yeah, people forget. Gosh, about it's that. all coming back to me. Yeah. I mean, but Brett Favre on the back. I mean, I know his ankle was was beat up, but that final play, all he had to do was scramble for five yards, and Ryan Longwell would have came on for a, a long field goal. But Brett Favre did what you were taught back in Little League not to do, <laughs> throw back across your body. And, and that's why he's the all-time leader in interceptions thrown. Brett Favre. You know, the best thing I ever saw in terms of, like, heckling someone was Brett Favre's first game back in Green Bay with the Minnesota Vikings. Mm-hmm. The Packers fans had this big sign that they held up that said, we'll never forget you, Bert. Yeah. Is that <laughs> – yeah. I think about that all the time. That was the funniest thing I've ever – now they love him and they're nice to him and everything. But uh, the Brett Favre saga was something else. I, yeah, I still remember I, when he was with the Green Bay. I just remember that's randomly like, when he came – we played here at Paul Brown Stadium and the fan just randomly came mm-hmm. and took the ball. Yeah. That moment just stands out to me yeah. every time I think of Brett Favre. It will forever stand out to me as well. His name is Taryn Bland. Taryn, where can we find you on social media? Where can we find you in the podcast world? Where can we hear you on the radio? Oh, man. Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, although I'm not really big on Instagram. Okay. But you can, both Twitter and Instagram, at the Taryn Bland. That's T-A-R-R-E-N. E-N. Yes. Bland. Yes, Bland. 
Uh, you can hear me some some days, three to six, ESPN fifteen thirty uh, as I host as I produce the Mo Acre Show. Uh huh. And I'm oh, also, is that the name of it now? I mean, that's just what I call it. We got to make a name for it. We got to work on that. That's why I labeled on the podcast just the Mo Acre Show. <laughs> I tell people, hey, would you like to come on the Mo Acre Show? Yeah. And then <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got. Damn. Well, that's no holds barred. The only no holds barred wrestling show in Cincinnati. And to my knowledge, the only wrestling show on ESPN Radio at all, right? That's correct. Made history. Right you here, made right history here, right, right here on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. It is uh, Taryn Bland and Rick Uccino. They host that Tuesday nights from 6 to 7. You can hear them talking about the world of wrestling and all that in between. Down to the wire, 513 is my podcast. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can just Google it. Wherever podcasts are found, down to the wire 513. Taryn Bland, thank you for joining us on the Bald Online Podcast. Thank you for having me, Mr. Elmore. So tired of a straight line. That's gonna do it for this episode of the Ball Don't Lie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, ball don't lie. In the meantime, have fun, be safe, go Bucks.